I want to welcome everybody who's in the house and everybody who is in their house. And it is my profound privilege to stand where one of America's generals of the body of Christ stands. Uh, Bishop Rick and I have been in relationship for about 14 years. We, we have the same pastor. Bishop Dick Burnell, and uh, we serve as his board members for his organization, and uh, Rick and I have been talking for many, many, many years, and uh, so I've been trying to get here, he's been trying to get me here, and I don't know, I don't know, except that the timing of God is perfect, amen? The Bible says that God makes everything perfect in his time. So if it's, uh, if it's not beautiful yet, if it's not perfect yet, it's not time yet. <laughs> you know, so uh, last time I checked, our times are in his hands. His times are not in our hands. And so it's, it's vital for us to uh, understand that and walk in that. Uh, it has been my great joy to be here uh, these last few days. I'm from Laguna Beach, California. So you're going to have to forgive me right up front. Just factor forgiveness in because California saved is a little bit different than Oklahoma saved. Come on, somebody. I think God's just happy to have some Christians in California, if you know what I mean. So he lets us get away with stuff he would never dream of letting you get away with. And um, so this is my 46th year of ministry. Uh, been married 40 years. Got three kids. Two of them are in full-time ministry. The other one's in corporate America, UCLA grad, and uh, five grandchildren. So uh, I just stay broke. <laughs> Amen. You know how that is. And um, so very, very uh, honored to be still being used by God after all these after all these years. I've been on the I've been on the planet for 63 years. Somebody asked me the other day. I was in Starbucks. This girl asked me. Uh, what's the difference between 23 and 63? So I thought for a minute. I said, let me think about this. I said, I know the difference. Pain. I said, uh, when you're 63, you sleep eight hours and wake up tired. Come on, somebody. And I don't know how I woke up and, and haven't, I've twisted my ankle while I was sleeping. Amen. I went to bed. It didn't hurt. I wake up. It does. You know what I'm talking about? When you're 63, you... You sneeze and separate a rib. <laughs> you try to put your boots on and you can't straighten up until lunchtime. I mean, it's just one of those things that happens to us. Um, tonight I want to share uh, in, in a short amount of time with y'all um, a little revelation that the Holy Spirit has been massaging into my disposition and I pray that it will speak to those of you who are watching and those of you who are present here today. But um, how many of you know that after we come to Jesus and the faith in God activates a destiny that was deposited when we were born or before we were born. He knew us before we were born. And so he, he, uh, he, the, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the earth 
And so how many of you know he took care of your sin before sin ever gave, got, up, got here? And so if he was uh, slain before the foundations of the world and then he knew you before the foundations of the world and before you were born, then how many of you know that he had a plan for you before you ever showed up? Amen. That's why uh, John, the beloved, says, little children, you're from God. I know you came through your parents, but you came from him. Amen, somebody. I, look, I grew up poor. I grew up uh, in, the, in the ghettos of Los Angeles. I grew up toe up from the flow up. I needed a check up from the neck up from Jump Street. Amen. And, and, but how many of you know that God wasn't too concerned about how I got here, it, it, it was just why I got here and that I did get here. So I, I, don't have any, uh, I don't have any spiritual pedigree. I'm first generation Christian. And for some reason, God surveyed the landscape of eternity from beginning to end. And he realized that uh, he better call a guy named Steve Hage so everybody else doesn't have any excuses. And so there was absolutely nothing in my life that was going to contribute to being a communicator of the good news of Jesus except that I am a trophy like you are of his grace. Amen, somebody? So, but once you accept Jesus into your life, uh, you go back to the disposition of the garden. So, God redeems your innocence. So he jumps over Adam's sin and puts you, remember, the, through the disobedience of one, sin entered and then death. But through the obedience of one, righteousness entered. So righteousness, the work of the cross erases the fall of the garden. So you now possess a redeemed innocence that puts you smack dab into the disposition that Adam and Eve had before the fall. So when Adam and Eve were walking through the cool of the day with God the Father, how many of you know that they didn't have any cares that they were caring about? And so when God made human beings, he did not make us with a faculty in our humanity to carry our cares. So the reason why people get junked up, messed up, the reason why they get entangled, the reason why they, they lose power, the reason why their relationships break down, why the dream breaks down, why their hope breaks down is because, and then they introduce numbing agents and we got all kinds of uh, human things being uh, introduced to medicate the pain that comes from us trying to carry our own cares. But the reality is that 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 said, you are not created to carry your cares. You're only created to cast your cares. And so what happens when we are carrying our cares you, and you don't have a faculty in your humanity to facilitate that practice, then you start breaking down in your disposition and your emotional equilibrium starts spinning out. Somebody say amen. You know what I'm talking about. So, so if you are despairing in your life, it's because you're caring about cares that you have no business carrying. The only way, the only thing you're built for is to receive that he cares for you. 
The only thing that we're, that, that we're built by God because of our redeemed innocence is to simply rest in the reality that God is good all the time and his mercies endure forever and that he cares for me. If God cares for me, why am I tripping out about what other people are caring about? So, so King David uh, in, in the 27th Psalm, and I believe it's verse 13, said, I would have despaired if I didn't believe that I was going to see the goodness of God. So the problem with many people is that they have let the predicament, the problem, the prognosis, the, the pain, the past uh, uh, unwind and disrupt and take, uh, take our believing faculty and attaching it to something besides the goodness of God. And how many of you know that sometimes religion and life will try to vandalize the goodness of God? It'll try to vandalize the character of God. They'll try to tell you that God is punishing you. How many of y'all have kids? Raise your hand. Praise the Lord. Okay. So when your kid does something wrong and you punish them, and you punish them for something they did wrong, do you go back and wake them up at 3 o'clock in the morning and spank them again and punish them again, or do you just leave it with the punishment? So did God punish Jesus for your sin? Yes or no? Then why does he have to punish you for it? Why did God send Jesus? Because God is good all the time. He ain't waiting for you to be good to be good. And just because you're not good doesn't make God not good. God can't do nothing but good because he's good all the time. In fact, the Bible says that God himself is patient and loving to ungrateful and evil people. So God is not waiting for people to cause him to do good. He does good because that's all he can do. So I think these last seven months that we've been in in America, I'm calling it the great reveal. The big reveal. Because what really is happening in our nation, and I'll just say in Christendom in America, is that we're figuring out what we are first. And I found out that some of my church members are not Christians. They're Democrats first, not Republicans, or Republicans first. They're not Christians first. So they let a narrative of hate and division and separation and uh, disconnection prevail over the narrative that God is good. And that Jesus is the Lord of all. And that we are here to preserve unity but celebrate diversity. I can celebrate your differences without having divisions among us. Listen, if we don't get this thing together, we're going to get to heaven where there's every tribe, every race, every tongue, every kindred. And we're going to be shocked. Who God lets into heaven. Like, like we better get this on earth as it is in heaven thing figured out. So, so this has been the big reveal. This is, this is what we, uh, we get to look at and, and discover where we're really at. What we really believe. See, uh, our message must be stronger than the narrative of division. In fact, my Bible says, let there be no divisions among you. 
Say the same thing. See, be intent on one purpose. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, intent on one. Listen, there is a, there is a blessing that comes when the people of God dwell together in unity. It's there that God commands a blessing. How many of you know that when we come together, God commands a blessing and there's nothing the devil can do about it? Amen. So, but it's in the place of unity. So if you were the devil and you were good at being the devil, you would try to bring a division because of diversity when diversity is to be celebrated but not at the expense of unity and so when we get into these into these situations we uh and and we and we lose our calibration with the narrative of heaven that we are called to attach our belief to, if we are not believing that God is good, then what are we believing? And you can always tell what you're believing by the way you're behaving. You don't tell people to behave and that leads them into believe. You tell them to believe and then they behave. All God wants out of us is to be believed. Jesus took care of the behave. God doesn't measure you on your behave. He measures you on your believe. Because I mean, no, I don't know about you, but I know I can't behave right all the time. And so any narrative that gives me permission to uh, assess my brothers through the filters of judgment are a front and and an offense to the goodness of God and the character of God. Quiet, quiet. I got a half of an amen from the lady in the OU shirt. (laughs) See, when religion vandalizes the character of God, it translates in horizontal judgment and intolerance of one another. Y'all all all right? Amen. Amen. So we need to go higher than all of this nonsense that gives us permission to judge one another. We got to fly above it. This, our, our love covers the sins of our horizontal connections. Peter said, be fervent in your love one for another. Because your love for one another covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't say God's love does. He said your love. You be fervent in your love for one another. Because, it's, because the world's going to know that we're Christians by the way we love one another. How are we loving one another? How are we loving one another? We're loving one another a little bit different than the world loves. See, the problem is, man, I'm not even preaching my message yet. But uh, the problem comes when we treat God like people and we treat people like God. See, that's where we get into trouble. So the Bible says to, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, doesn't it say, trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? So how much of your heart's trust then is left over for people? And then how many people got hurt because trust got broken? I trusted you. Well, that was your bad. My Bible says that all of the trust that is in my heart and in my life belongs to God. I'm to trust the Lord with all of my heart and love people. What do we do? Trust people and love God. John said that in this is love. You want to know what love? In this is love. Not that you love him. 
but that he loves you. And then we love him because he first loved us. So the love thing between us and God did not start with us. It starts with us being able to receive his love and then have a reflex response to love him back. But what do you have to do in order to receive his love? Trust that you're deeply loved. So you trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You don't lean to your own understanding in all of your ways that you acknowledge him. And guess what? Whatever's crooked, he'll straighten out. You're not called to straighten out your crooked. You're called to trust that he'll straighten out your crooked. Come on, somebody. God is not going to access the person who messed it up to straighten it up. Okay, so, so the reality of our Christianity is that if we don't believe that God is good, we'll have the fruit of despair operating in and through our lives. So let's talk about this a little bit. Y'all all right? I want to entitle this message to everybody who can hear me. God is good. Now trust it. God is good. Now trust it. Believe it. Walk in it. Let this be the narrative of our disposition. See, uh, if we slip into believing that what I'm going through and what I'm facing right now is what I'm to be believing, then I will lose my heart. Your life and mine is not we're not living in a quality of life based on what's happened in our life. We're living the level of our life based on what we're believing about what happened in our life. It's not what happened to you that you can't get over. It's what came through the door of what happened to you that you can't get over. The lie that came through the door. God's mad at me no he's mad about you well look what people did to me i know but look what he did for you so so no matter what difficulties you are facing right now in your life believe that you're going to see the goodness of god well pastor you don't know the losses i've been through no you don't know the losses god has been through you don't know what he purchased. You Stop attaching your belief to what you're seeing. Listen, we walk by faith, not by Okay, then the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's sight. So when we calibrate our believing to what we're seeing, then we begin to despair and lose our hearts because we're not believing. We're only walking by what we're seeing. Listen, it's not what happened to you that counts. It's what you believe about what's happened to you that counts. And I believe that God can cause all things that happen to me and you to work together for my good. God didn't send it, but he'll bend it, come on somebody, for my good. Joseph said, you meant this for evil, but my God meant this for my good. Come on, man. God is good. Believe it. Trust it. Live in it. Stop attaching your belief to what you see and start attaching your belief to what he said. Over your life. See, this is the fight of faith. 
It might look bad right now. But I know something good is going to come out of it. Look, God didn't take sin out of the world. He just took sin out of you. <sighs> Somebody said, well, my, but sin separates me from God. No, it doesn't. Adam's sin separated me from God. And Jesus obliterated it. Now nothing can separate me from the love of God. Anybody who tells you that your sin is stronger than his goodness, you just need to just slug him in the face and then ask for an apology. Come on, somebody. You just need to say, look, I ain't got time to be shucking and jiving with you trying to vandalize my God's goodness for my life. My God is good all the time. Why? Because he's God all the time. He don't stop being God because I had a moment or I had a bunch of moments. Amen, somebody. See, see, the battlefield is in our mind. It's in our belief system. Is God good or isn't he? See, 1 Peter chapter nine, chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 says, be sober. What does that mean? Stop getting drunk on religion. Stop getting drunk on lies. Stop being involved with an with a activity that, that uh, alters your judgment or your personality. Be sober. Think straight. See straight. Understand accurately. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion walking around trying to find somebody to devour. But resist him and be firm in your faith. Faith about what? That God is good. You got to believe it. You got to stand on it. You got to receive that. No matter what storms are stirring, stirred up by the devil, people, or yourself, you got to believe that you're going to see the goodness of God in your life. See, the moment we give something else the final say in our life, we become vulnerable and susceptible to the introduction of deception. So sometimes in our life, we grow up with like imagery. I believe my life was going to look like this. I'm 63 years old, and at 63, I thought my sexy would be way more upgraded than it currently is. I don't know how it happens. I go to bed sexy, and I wake up, and it leaked out in the night. And I look at myself, what the heck happened to you over the night? Anyway. You believe, hey, I'd be having, my marriage would be like this. My kids would be like this. My money be like this. My health would be like this. I had imagery. And here's my reality. My reality is my kids went crazy. I got a divorce. I've experienced loss. I have cares that I can't carry. I got a situation I didn't sign up for. How many at home know what I'm talking about? So you had imagery, but your reality doesn't match your imagery. That in-between place right there is called disappointment. And if we don't know how to make our disappointment his appointment, then disappointment has a door. And the door in disappointment is deception. And so 
The devil doesn't deceive you first. He disappoints you first. And you're just disappointed. I've been trying to lose the same five pounds for five years. I'm just disappointed. My hair didn't turn gray. It turned loose. Come on, somebody. Like, I don't know. I thought I'd be doing this. I didn't think I'd experience these kind of losses. I didn't think that I would go through anything like this. Remember in Isaiah, sidebar for a minute. Remember in Isaiah, God says, for what you are grieving about and what you're feeling shame about, and remember, guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. He said, now for your grief and for your shame. Grief is the human emotion that comes after loss. So if you ever lost anything, you know about grieving. So grief will hurl you into transition, but it won't hurl you into change. You could be the same person after loss and never learned anything, or you can elevate out of it. Amen, somebody? Okay, so watch this. So the Bible says that God says, you give me your loss, your grief, and you give me your shame, and I'll give you double. I was sitting with a pastor today, and I said, well, sounds like you've had a lot of losses, a lot of opportunity to calibrate your brain to shame. Sounds like there's been some difficult things. I said, what I think is happening is that God just needed something to measure the double with. So if we don't have any shame or grief, God doesn't have nothing to double. And then he said, you're going to rejoice over your portion. What's your portion? The double portion. You mean I get double for my trouble when I'm a Christian? Uh Uh-huh. So whatever you're going through right now, it's like an arrow. The farther you pull it back, when the release comes, the farther it goes forward. And some of you feel like God's been pulling you back and pulling you back and pulling you back. You're like, Jesus, yo, hey, yay, yay. And he's pulling you back, pulling you back, and you're wondering what's going on. What's going on is he's getting ready to release you to go forward with a greater velocity and a farther reach of the double. And then he said, you'll rejoice in the double. So we will despair if we don't understand that God's double is better than our trouble. I would have despaired at God pulling me back, allowing me to be pulled back if I didn't believe that I was going to see a release that shot me forward and all my dreams will come true. You feel me? Oh, So let's not doubt the goodness of God because you got some bad stuff going on around you. God, you're just, God's just providing himself with something to double. He's just trying to find a measurement. You know, if I had like a cold, God doubles it. It's just over here. But if I have cancer, when the double comes, I'm way over here. Praise the Lord. It's like, why are you so blessed? Because I lived over there and believed that I would see the goodness of God. Amen? God is good enough to give you. Whatever you need right now. His goodness is not deficiency. His goodness is not. Listen. The problem isn't with the supply. The problem is with the demand. 
How do we put a demand on God's goodness? Believe it. Let me keep going. So Luke 12, 32, don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has made a decision to choose gladly to give you the kingdom. This is the logic of God. Say, so let's talk about this for a minute longer. You guys all right? You all right at home? Okay. So it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. So you can't even repent until you first believe that God is good. It's not the anger of God. It's not the judgment of God. It's not the, uh, the frustration of God. It's not all this religious stuff that vandalizes his character. It's the goodness of God. Why? Because he's good all the time. He can't be nothing but good. So any other God but a good God is not the God of the Bible. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Repentance is an old English word that comes from, it's been misused by religion to get mileage out of precious people. I'll tell you what it means. It comes from the word penance, where you are in pent, you're offering penance. You're crawling on glass. You're, you know, got ashes on your head. You're giving up pork. I don't know what you're doing. That probably wouldn't work in Oklahoma, amen. Yeah, you're not going to shoot your shotgun. I don't know. You got to, you cats, you got to stop putting a pinch between your cheek and gum. You're like, repentance. So, so repentance is repentance. Keep asking forgiveness for stuff Jesus already forgave you for. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Did you ask the Lord to forgive you? Did you ask the Lord to forgive you? Yeah, I asked him to forgive me when I got saved. I don't have to keep asking him for forgiveness to be right with him if I believe that I'm the righteousness of God now and forever. Okay, you all looking at me like, what? I'm writing pastor a letter. Okay, how can God, listen to me. How can God take the Holy Spirit and put it in a dirty vessel. Do you have the Holy Spirit? You pray in the, in the Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit came into your human spirit and activated a destiny from God. And, and so, so can the Holy Spirit coexist with toxins and dirt and filth? Has he ever taken the Holy Spirit from you? Then what are you asking for forgiveness for? Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. You're like, I did that already. Why don't you understand that repentance means start thinking about yourself the way God is thinking about you? That's actually what the word means. It doesn't mean keep saying, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. It means stop thinking about yourself differently than the way your heavenly father thinks about you. That's what repentance is. And the goodness of God empowers you to start thinking God's thoughts about you. That's what it means. Don't think lightly of his kindness, that verse said. Like, like God is not weak he's got a strong hold on you but it's the it's the 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 hold of his love on your life 
You're like, well, pastor, I was raised wrong. You know what I decided this year? I decided, and I've been in the ministry for 46 years, y'all. I've never not been in the ministry. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I'm kind of like, why did it take me so long? To stop giving my upbringing more power. Mm-hmm. Yes, we were raised wrong. Mm-hmm. Especially this side right here. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we were raised wrong, but we were raised up right. And I asked myself this year, I said, why are you continuing to give your dead dad power in your life? My mom died when I was five. So every counselor I've ever talked to, and how many of you know sometimes you get stuck and you just got to talk to somebody? So I've talked to some people, and every counselor I've ever talked to said, Steve, you have abandonment issues. You think that if, you'll love, if you love, if you give your heart to somebody and you really love people, that one day they're going to abandon you because your mom, who you love, died when you were five. And that's the way that translates into your mind. And then the way my dad responded to my mom's death was he got angry. Because how many of you know the loss of a spouse when you're grieving? Sometimes you get stuck in anger. So he took his anger out on us kids, me and my brother. So there was abuse. There was anger. There was hollering. You know, there was all this stuff. And then here I am, 63 years old. I was raised wrong. And I came to the point where I said, I'm going to stop giving the way I was raised more power than the way I was raised up. That my alibis and my excuses are not going to be bigger than my dreams and my destiny. Amen. That, that God, if, if then, Colossians 3, if then you have been raised up with Christ, keep thinking about the things above and keep your eyes on things above. So whenever I get into this horizontal calibration, I'm realizing that I'm going to have horizontal, uh, I'm going to have reflection of, of what I'm thinking about. But listen, I have a vertical connection that deserves a horizontal reflection. You don't need to be reflecting your upbringing. You need to be reflecting him raising you up. Amen, somebody? And so, I, I, look, I'm, I'm elevating my awareness about things that have been hindering me. As a man of God, where in my private time, I'm worried that people are going to leave me. People are going to abandon me. People that I've loved and invested in are going to go ahead and be human. And I have forced myself, and I'm not perfect at it, but I'm telling you, I'm working on it. I am trusting the Lord with all of my heart. I'm going to keep saying over my life, my, if my mind is stayed on him, I will be in perfect peace. I am not responsible. I'm going to create an environment that puts a high premium on personal responsibility. You're responsible for your walk with God. I'm responsible for my walk with God that you should be te- that you you I want to raise up a, a a community of believers that know how to feed themselves the Bible says you should be teachers by now but still you're on milk that means you're dependent on somebody else for your spiritual nutrition so you'll never step in to serve and then if you don't serve you abandon your, your ability to have greatness and winning in life. Amen. 
So let me keep going. Y'all all right? Okay, I got I to gotta land this plane in a minute. See, whatever man has done, whatever people have done, God will undo and outdo for you. The goodness of God will undo and outdo however I was raised, however you were raised, whatever, however people have dis- disappointed you, whatever's gone on in your life. I'm here to tell you that God can undo and outdo whatever they did to you because, this is, because his goodness is for you. I, it doesn't matter what their agenda is. Amen, somebody? And we love people. Listen, listen, I'm not going to love you because you p- behaved right. I'm going to love you because I trust God and now I can love you. You don't have the power to hurt me. You don't have the power to crater me. You don't have the power to be a manhole cover and down to the sewer I go and swimming in the sewer of life because I trusted you. No, I trust him and I love you regardless of how you behave. You can't hurt me. Why? I trust him. So I can love you regardless if you love me back. I told my church, I said, hey, look at here. Is God smarter than you? He loves me, so I know what y'all's problem is. Okay, let me get to, let me get to a, a, how I want to end this. But So God's good. The goodness of God is the secret to living the joy-filled, peace-filled, grace-filled life. Believe it. Let this penetrate your thinking. The goodness of God needs to be the filter that we interpret all incoming data by. The goodness of God needs to be the filter that you interpret everything that's coming into your life. You interpret it through the filter of the goodness of God. Something good's about to happen to me. I mean, sometimes I think Jesus is just going, if you don't know me by now, you will never, ever, ever know me. Right? Ooh. You know, all the things you've been through. It should be so easy to do. Jesus knows the difference between right and wrong. He ain't going to do nothing to mess up your happy home. Amen? Just because he comes home a little late at night, that ain't no reason to argue, fuss, and fight. Come on, somebody. If you don't know him by now, he's good. He's the filter. Amen. God has no other vision for your life except good things. Goodness and mercy are going to follow you all the days of your life. Listen to me. No more bad days. Bad things might happen, but that don't mean you're going to have a bad day. Because goodness and mercy are tracing you down to apprehend you and to restore you, not ignore you, and to bless you not hurt you and bug you. It's going to follow you every day of your life. Why? Because you're God's kids. What's going on with all this? Everything God wants to do in your life is good. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11, and then I'm going to say this, then I'm going to make a couple more comments, and then we're going to take an offering, and we're going to pray, and we're going to go. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know... It's God's talking. He said, I know the plans I have for you. For good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Now look at here. Sometimes God knows and he ain't telling. 
But guess what? We don't have to know what he knows. We just have to know that he knows. You just need to know that God has a plan and it's for your good. And he's factored you into the future. And it's not for evil. It's not for calamity. All you need to understand is that you don't have to understand. You just have to know that he knows. And you just need to rest in the fact that your heavenly father will let you in on what you can handle. And there's other things you can't handle, but he can handle for you. I know the plans I have for you. That should be good enough for everybody. But, Lord, I need you to tell me I need some illumination for my situation so I don't have so much perspiration in my, you know. No, no. You just need to chill and thrill until. Because something good is on its way. Sorry about that California thing right there. Just chilling and thrilling like a villain for Jesus. Amen. Okay, keep going. Okay, so this is it. And I'll land the plane right now. When we really believe, I've said all of what I've said to say this. When we really believe that God is good, it will activate a faith that will give us confidence to ask God for anything. That he will withhold no good thing from you. That he'll give you everything that you need. What is that? First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, seeing, I hope you see this tonight. I hope you're seeing this at home. Seeing that his divine power has already granted to you everything. Everybody say everything. everything. Now everything is everything. That his divine power, not your perfect performance. That his divine power has already granted to you everything that pertains to your life and godliness. Wait, godliness isn't about your performance. Godliness is about his power. You're dead and your life is hidden with God in Christ. I don't know about you, but dead people can't sin. When God looks at you, he doesn't see you. Why? Because you're hidden in Christ. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Jesus is not an example for you. He's an example of you. When God, like, like we say, you know, bring every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. You better be obedient. No. You bring your thoughts unto Jesus' obedience. Your obedience doesn't have nothing to do with God blessing you. You just need to attach your belief to Jesus' obedience being enough for you. Religion is ridiculous. Part of my job is to take religion out of Christianity. Let's just be free indeed. We don't have to pretend like we're free. We can actually be free. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything that pertains to our life and godliness as far as God measures us. Through the true 
knowledge of him who called us according to his own glory and excellence. If there's a true knowledge, there's a false knowledge. And what's the true knowledge of him? He's good. What's the false knowledge? He's not good. He's mad. He's not mad at you. Mad about you. So let's ask God for whatever we need right here and right now. You're at home, wherever you are, you have needs. You need healing. You need encouragement. You need resources. You need to cut your past off and unhook that U-Haul that's got that outhouse sloshing around in it and every relationship you pull into it stinks. Like just unhook it and give it to the devil. My gift to you, devil. My past. You might need to give yourself a break from your memories. I don't know. I got my own dramas in my own pajamas. I got my own issues that require tissues. God is big enough for all of There's enough of God to go around, isn't there? So will you close your eyes, activate your faith, and let me come into agreement with you right here and right now that this is going to be a house of healing, a house of hope, a house of help. He sent you one of America's greatest men of God. There must be something about you you don't know about you for him to send Rick, Pastor Rick Hawkins here. Are you kidding me? This is a great man of God that is setting the thermostat at blessing you. Tell God what you need right here and right now. Everyone who hears my voice, you're at home, you're in your car, you got your phone, you're at Starbucks, whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, you go to God now and ask him for what you want. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, you believe that you've received it, then God will give it to you. Will you believe now in the goodness of God? Will you receive now the goodness of God and the gift of that goodness? Believe it, receive it. Now Jesus said that his father would provide it. Lord, I join my faith with everyone who can hear my voice. And I ask you now, because of the faith in this room, the believing in, in this people, the anointing over this house, that the goodness of God is going to be seen by the people of Quest Nation in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody say amen, amen. and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap if you learned something tonight. Yeah. Hallelujah. Now let me talk to you real quick about one thing and then, and then we're going to go. Everyone listen. I got you. you can sit down. Thank you. There's this centurion and some of his workers at his house run up to him and they say, listen, sir, the servant that you love is sick at the house and about to die. There's something at your house 
that is unhealthy. And so he went, that centurion, whom he loved, there was something that he loved that was sick and about to die at his house. So he goes and finds the priests. And they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, this man has this servant at his house that's sick and about to die. And he asked us to come to you that you would pray for him, pray for this servant and heal him. And then they said this to Jesus. And it's only right that you do this for this centurion because it's him who has loved your people and it's him who built your house. He built the synagogue. This man with the servant at his house built God's, built God's house. And they said, Jesus, it's only right for you to do this for him because of what he's done for you. Is it possible that when God goes to do something of a healing nature in your house, he accesses first your love for his people? And what you've done in his house. And the Bible says that Jesus heard that. And in that very hour, he sent a prayer of healing. And in that very moment, that, ser that servant was healed. Because there's seeds that we need to sow before we have something show up in our life that we can access. And we have a harvest of healing when we didn't need it back here. And that man and what he loved that was at his house got healed because of what he loved and built at God's house.